Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of a Light Unto My Path podcast. I'm your host Howard Sides and today we're continuing our study through the book of Revelation. We are in chapter 21 and we've just kind of got basically started here so we're still in verse 1. Uh, so if you're just joining us, I know you've got a long way to catch up to 21 but if you're in chapter 21 we're just getting started. So I want to start with uh, reading verses uh, 1 through 3, uh, which is kind of like the first uh, thought together. Uh, but to break up the chapter, uh, the tractor's, uh, tractor, the chapter is in two parts. Uh, you've got verses 1 through 8 where we, know, uh, we see uh, John's vision of the New Jerusalem. John's vision of the New Jerusalem. Then in verse 9 down through 27... Uh, we'll see John's visit, uh, his actual visit. So you got the vision and then the visit. Now we're in the first section of that, John's vision. And within John's vision, he tells us two things. First, in verses 1 and 2, he tells us what he sees, what he's able to see. Uh, in verses 3 through 8, he'll tell us uh, what he hears, what he hears. And, of course, we're in that first section, what he sees. So let's uh, read verses 1 through 3, and then we'll get right to it, okay? All right, Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. All right, so we have covered the first uh, portion of verse 1 here about the new heaven. And the next section we're picking up with on today is the new earth. The new earth. Now note that the earth will be, uh, I guess you'd say, remade uh, at the beginning of the millennial reign. God's going to remake this earth and put it back like it was in the first creation, Genesis 1, 1, 1, 2, and in there, uh, when he created the world that way, he's going to put it back like it was when Adam and Eve were placed here. Uh, now, I know there's some that say, well, what about the gap theory and all that stuff? I, I'm not a proponent of the gap theory. I, one of the basic uh, challenges with the gap theory is that to accept it, then you have to accept the fact that there actually was death before Adam and Eve's sin. There had to be death. So therefore there was sin somewhere along that. Somewhere. If if you take into account all of the dinosaurs that and, and that's and that that's kind of what the gap theory is. It's it's and I'm not trying to disrespect anybody that does believe in it or anything like that. Uh but the main point of the gap theory from what I can understand is that the Christian uh, scholars are trying to make a large amount of time to fit all these dinosaurs in because they're accepting what the evolutionists are saying that these dinosaurs are from millions of years ago. And th that's just not true. Okay. And, and I, you're thinking, well, science says science has never proven it. They've never proven it. 
Okay, they say it and say it and say it until people just accept it, but it's still just a theory. And the fact of it is the main thing that they use to prove in quotations there uh, that dinosaurs are that old is circular reasoning. Circular reasoning means that somebody digs up a bone and they say, okay, to get the age of this bone, we've got to compare it to rocks of the same era. So they find rocks of the same era and they say, okay, well, we know the rocks are this old, so the bones must be that old. Well, if you stop and ask the question, well, wait a minute, how do we know how old these rocks are? And you say, well, uh, circular reasoning says that the rocks are a certain age because they're uh, found in the same level of the dirt that the bones are. You get that? Yeah. The one is proven how old it is by being found with the other. Uh, why, how, how do you deter determine the point of what age, what the age is? Well, it's because it's found with the other thing. And, and then, you know, carbon dating, all, all that stuff. Listen, that stuff will fit anything you want it to, uh, you know, I, I don't have time to get into all that. We, we, if, if we ever get into Genesis, I, we'll explain it. Uh, but Kent Hovind, look it up on YouTube. Kent Hovind has a whole series of two-hour videos. I think there's six sessions in all, seven sessions in all, I think, maybe. And he talks about this gap theory. He talks about dinosaurs. He talks about the Great Flood. Uh, and I got to be honest with you, I don't agree 100% with everything he says. But when it comes to um, the majority of that, I, I can't find any fault in what he says. <laughs> it makes perfect, perfect sense to me. Okay, I don't know where I got off on that, but anyway. Okay, so, in other words, this earth is going to be remade by God at the beginning of the millennial reign to be like it was when Adam and Eve were placed here. Now, it would seem to make sense that at this time, what we're talking about here in verse 1, uh, that there will be an entirely new creation of earth and heavens. And you think, well, what makes sense out of that? Well, we'll, we'll get into that. Now, there is a noted distinction between uh, these two worlds that we're talking about, this first creation and then this new creation, this new earth. Now, new usually indicates newness in terms of quality and not time, as in it's something brought about later on. Now, the first world was not permanent, but rather temporary, whereas the second is to be enduring and permanent. Uh, the first world, and we'll kind of get into it later. I forget what the theory is. Uh, there's a name for it, but like, uh, I forget what it is, but it goes along the lines that the, the longer uh, something is around in in certain amount of time, it starts degrading, okay? No matter what it is, it just starts degrading. Time has a effect on pretty much everything. Uh, I know it's having an effect on me. I'm getting <laughs> older, okay? And I'm sure you are too, uh, but uh, that that's kind of we'll, we'll get into that when we get to that point later on. I, f I forget what it is, but I know I wrote it down in here somewhere. <laughs> so hang on, and we'll get to that, and I'll, I'll tell you what it is. I can't remember right off the top of my head. But anyway, despite the differences, okay, the new heavens and the earth will be an identifiable counterpart to the old ones, as well as a renewal of it. Um, now, what we're talking about here is when he remakes this world at the millennial reign. It's symbolic, if you will, of uh, the resurrection of the body, uh, like Christ's resurrection. Now, when we ha have our spiritual bodies, we're still going to be joined with the physical body. It's just going to be made holy. Okay? It's going to be made holy. Uh, 
So we're actually going to be made new, but it still does have a connection to the old, that sort of thing. But anyway. Okay, now this word new here. Let's look at uh, this word new. And uh, Dr. Anthony Garland explains what this Greek word for new actually means. And I, it's kind of one thought. Um, well, anyway, let me read what he says, and, and then we'll discuss it. How's that? Okay. All right, Dr. Anthony Gar Garland. G-A-R-L-A-N-D. All right, he says, and I quote, new is kainos. It's the Greek word kainos, K-A-I-N-O-S. In the sense that what is old has become obsolete and should be replaced by what is new. In such a case, the new is, as a rule, superior in kind to the old. An earth which no longer smarts and smokes under the curse of sin an earth which needs no more to be torn with hooks and irons to make it yield its fruits, an earth where thorns and thistles no longer infest the ground, nor serpents hiss among the flowers, nor savage beasts lay an ambush to devour, an earth whose sod is never cut with graves, whose soil is never moistened with tears or saturated with human blood, whose fields are never blasted with unpropitious seasons, whose atmosphere never gives wings to the seeds of plague and death, whose ways are never lined with funeral processions or blocked up with armed men on their way to war, an earth whose hills ever flow with salvation and whose valleys know only the sweetness of Jehovah's smiles, an earth from end to end and from center to utmost verge, clothed with the eternal blessedness of paradise restored. This is a whole new kind of new. <laughs> okay? Okay. Again, the restorative work prior to the Millennial Kingdom was a regeneration. And it's talked about in Matthew 19, verse 28. Uh, it's referred to there. And it's not an entirely new created order as here. Okay? It's, it's the same world, and it's just kind of put back the way it was. But here, this new earth is an entirely new creation. All right? And, and in that millennial kingdom, we know that it's just like a regenerated world because the earth and the sea still contained all of the unsaved dead of history. Although the millennial earth was renovated in order to recover from the judgments of the tribulation and to restore Eden-like conditions, sin and death remained, and the earth in one sense remained unclean due to the presence of death and that sort of thing. Now, in the destruction by fire of the first heaven and earth, sin and death are completely purged from the created order. That's Revelation chapter 20 and verse 14. It was revealed to the Old Testament prophets that the first heavens and earth would perish. Uh, one ref or two references to that, Psalms 102, uh, verse 25 and 26, and also Isaiah 51 and verse 6. Uh, and then they'll, they'll be also replaced by new heavens and earth. And that's talked about in Isaiah 65, verse 17 through 20. Now there it says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. Right off the bat, create new heavens, plural, and a new earth. And the former shall not be remembered. In other words, it's going to be so grand, we won't even remember the old creation the creation of today that we have. Nor come into mind. <laughs> it's never even going to occur to us. <laughs> That's how great this new creation is going to be. It's going to so blow our mind that it's going to blow the old world right out of our minds. How about that? Mm. 
How about that thought? Yeah. All right, verse 18. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem, a rejoicing and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die an hundred years old, but the sinner, being an hundred years old, shall be accursed. Okay, uh, the next phrase in this uh, verse 1. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. So here we are told that the previous heavens and earth that passed away were the first. So this event of a new heavens and earth will be the only true creation act since the original creation of Genesis 1.1. Now many try to explain that what Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3 is where God changes uh, the earth for the millennial kingdom reign. But this cannot be. Again, what God did to the earth prior to the millennial kingdom reign was a regeneration or a restoration of the original creation that was here or is here today. Not an entirely new creation. This is further evidenced by the presence of the sea and death and hell, which still contain all the unbelieving dead bodies and souls. So that reference to 2 Peter 3, it can't have to do with the millennium, okay? All right, also, Peter further describes the event of 2 Peter chapter 3 as issuing in an entirely different heavens and earth in verse 13. And that verse says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for. Look for. In other words, it's not here right now. We're looking for it. We look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Righteousness doesn't dwell. It's here, but it doesn't dwell. It, it doesn't dominate. It's not a dominant presence here. Okay. And now Thomas Constable in his commentary, he tells us, and I quote, the reason God will destroy the present heaven and earth is that he originally made them as the habitat for all humanity. However, uh, sin so thoroughly corrupted not only the human race, but also <clears throat> the race's environment, so that he will destroy it and create a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is the final stage in his plan to deliver humanity into the blessing he originally intended people to enjoy. End quote. Okay, the next phrase in verse uh, 1, which actually is the last phrase. Uh, John says, and there was no more sea. And there was no more sea. Now, in the middle of saying, let's read verse 1 again just to kind of put it in the rhythm of what's being said here. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. Now, that's kind of like a, a pitcher who's known for his fastball. Kind of throwing this curveball or a slider. Where'd that come from? Is kind of what you think. And that's what you were thinking when you read this. And there was no more sea. Uh, what? Now, why is the sea, among those parts of creation that singled out as no longer existing versus uh, some of the things that were going on in the tribulation period, like, like some of these storms, uh, some of these volcanoes, 
some of these massive earthquakes that said, you know, it never been like them before or ever will be again. Uh, or maybe even the mountains, which are said to be leveled. Or the valleys, which are said to be raised up. Uh, which, you know, these are all prominent, uh, prominently mentioned in the judgment phase of, of the tribulation period. Now, critical to answering this question is to first correctly identify what this city or what this sea represents. Now, the use of the word sea in Revelation offers five distinct meanings, and we're going to read the uh, captions and, and the meanings and, and, and see what's going on there. <clears throat> okay. Uh, the first thing that sea represents uh, is the origin of cosmic evil the origin of cosmic evil, especially in light of the Old Testament background. So if you look in Revelation chapter 12, verse 12, uh, it says, Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. His time is numbered. Revelation 13, 1 also says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten hordes, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. So we see here that one uh, representation of the word uh, sea is this origin of cosmic evil. Uh, it talks about the devil, and it also talks about the Antichrist being that beast coming up out of the sea. Uh, number two, uh, the sea also represents the unbelieving, rebellious nations who calls tribulation for God's people. And we read about that, uh, for, of course, in Isaiah 57, 20, it says, But the wicked are like the troubled sea, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. And if you ever stood on the beach, and as the water's coming in and it crashes into the sand, do you ever notice that? It's all very murky, because it's kicking the sand up. It's very dirty. It's because it's stirring all that up. That's what it is. Also, it's mentioned in Revelation 17, verses 1 and 2. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. All right. Uh, the third representation is that the sea is the place of the dead, not all of the dead, but there are some in the sea. Uh, Revelation chapter 20, verse 13 tells us, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell were delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. Okay, uh, the fourth thing that sea, the word sea represents is the primary location of the world's idolatrous trade activity. The world's idolatrous trade activity. And basically, chapter 18 as a whole covers this, but it's more specifically uh, concentrated in verses 10 through 19. And I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and read all that because it's a lot, but uh, it said that all the people are standing off saying, Oh, look at the mighty city. For one hour, uh, thy judgment's come, and everybody's standing there mourning over because they can't buy anything, and nothing's coming in on the sea. Uh, for Carlson is for in one hour she's made desolate. Uh, it's just always a bunch of moaning and crying because the sea was the way that they did their commerce, while they the way they did their business, how they got their goods. And there in chapter 18, all that's gone. 
Uh, the fifth reason <clears throat> or, or substitution that C represents uh, is an actual literal body of water. Now, you mentioned the sea. Of course, you think of the ocean like, you know, it is. Uh, but then sometimes it's mentioned with uh, the earth. Uh, and it's used symbolically in which the sea, as a part of the old creation, represents the totality of it. In other words, sometimes instead of just mentioning the whole earth, it mentions the sea and it represents it. Uh, Revelation chapter 5 verse 13 gives us an example of that. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And then also in verses uh, 1 through 3 of chapter 7, chapter 7, 1 through 3, it says, And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Revelation chapter 8, verses 8 and 9 also says, And the second angel sounded, and as that were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. In Revelation chapter 10, verse 2, And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth. So, see the representation there. Now, in knowing these five uh, examples of what we see uh, that the word sea represents, here in our example, and there was no more sea, we can actually look at it and say that it is actually, it, it's more of, or it's probably, a summary of all five of these put together. It, it encompasses all five meanings. Uh, let's look back at them and, and see what I'm talking about. Now, with the first one, uh, with the new creation, uh, when the new creation comes, there will no longer be any threat from Satan because he will have been permanently judged and excluded from the new creation. So where the sea represents him, there's no sea because there's no Satan. Number two, nor will there be any threat from rebellious nations, since they too will have suffered the same fate as Satan. And again, because they're not persecuting the, the believers, uh, they're not going to be here, so neither is the sea. Number three, neither will there be death ever again, so that there is no room for the sea as the place of the dead. Uh, four, there also will be no more idolatrous trade practices using the sea as its main avenue. And then fifth, even the perception of the literal sea as a murky, unruly part of God's creation is no longer appropriate in the new cosmos, since the new creation will be characterized by peace. So with a tumultuous sea, uh, doesn't fit in this peaceful new creation that God's going to uh, bless us with. Now, what is interesting to note here about the mention of the sea is that the Jew uh, was not a sailor by occupation or pleasure. Now, they were fishermen, yes, but not sailors of the great oceans. The sea always had a negative, uh, a judgmental, or even a foreboding meaning. <laughs> Never a good meaning when it was mentioned. Now, take note of how often the ocean is mentioned and in what context in the Bible. 
Uh, Genesis chapter 7, verses 11 through 12. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights. So here we see the oceans are represented by the fountains of the great deep. Okay? This is the great flood. Uh, the only good thing to come out of this was Noah and his family were saved in the ark. Everything else was judgment. Uh, then Exodus 14, 28. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. Now here we see the uh, 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 Israelites crossing the Red Sea. The Pharaoh and his army challenge, or, uh, chases them through the Red Sea. And when the Israelites get out, God brings the water back in and wipes out Pharaoh and all his army. So, again, you see the judgment. All right, and then uh, Isaiah 27 and verse 1 says, In that day the Lord with his sore and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan, <laughs> Leviathan, not Leviathan, so I could tell a prompt or whatever. Anyway, Leviathan, the piercing serpent. Even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. Now, it's very interesting, and I believe it's uh, Cody Zorn makes mention of it. I'm not sure about this text, but he makes reference to the fact that, that if, you, if you'll notice, uh, Satan's always associated with water, with the sea. Now, it's not just the ocean that's on the ground or uh, of the earth, uh, there's also a element of water that, that used to surround the world. You remember it was the, there was the water vapor. And uh, we know that Satan's realm is, he's the prince of the air. So in that air, he's, you know, within the, in that sea. So where Satan here is, is dealing with this, Leviathan and the serpent, you know it's Satan he's talking about. So so it's not anything good coming out of that. Also in Isaiah 57 and verse 20, it says, But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. And then in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 3, uh, And four great beasts come up from the sea, diverse one from another. Okay, so all these references in the Old Testament, we see uh, nothing is good that is associated with the sea. Uh, and then just in Revelation alone, the word sea is mentioned 26 times, and every time it has a negative connotation with it. Uh, I don't have time to read all 26 verses, but if you look up all the um, times the word sea uh, is in Revelation, then there you go. Um I do have some on here. Uh, let me read a couple of them just, just to, in case you need some references and you don't have a way to look it up. Uh, we mentioned one a minute ago, Revelation chapter 8, verses 8 and 9. Uh, and the second angel sounded, and, it, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. <laughs> Nothing good there. Verse 9, the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. Nothing good there. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. Nothing good there. Uh, Revelation 13, verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea. Okay, there. 
uh, and it says, and I saw and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. You know that doesn't have anything good to do with that. Uh, Revelation 16, 3. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man. Not something you want to go swimming in. And every living soul died in the sea. So back in chapter 8, we see a third part of the sea creatures died. In verse 3 of chapter 16, every living soul died that is in the sea. And that could make a reference to even sailors that are on the water, too. Uh, Revelation 18, verse 21. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. So, <laughs> again, nothing good comes out of the sea. <laughs> biblically okay now i know what you're thinking and i and i'm sitting here thinking about man i sure do like some shrimp i like uh, some white fish I like some flounder i like fishing in the sea uh that deep sea fishing stuff man that's always fun <laughs> so, but you know what i'm saying okay biblically nothing good now that now here's something else to think about that john mentions this specific phrase of no more sea uh, offers us several insights as to what the absence of the sea means for him as well as us. Uh, now, remember that John was a captive on the isle. Isle is island, an isle of Patmos. He's completely surrounded by water. And this isle of Patmos is a Roman prison camp. Now, the absence of the sea would signify freedom to John. If that sea wasn't there, he could walk right out of the, right off the island and just keep right on going, right? Now, remember, too, that the ocean occupies three-fourths of the entire surface area, separating great continents by vast distances, thus offering separation, exclusion, and even protection in many cases for various countries. It just so happens that the way the United States is, uh, we have a great ocean on the West Coast and we have a great ocean on the East Coast. Uh, very hard for a formidable Navy to just kind of pop up and surprise us. Not saying it can't happen, but... Generally, it shouldn't be able to happen. <laughs> okay? All right. Um, now, where was it? Yeah, many parts of the earth that were habitable before the Great Flood are now underwater. And and you see this all the time. They, they, they're, they're looking for the lost city of Atlantis, and they find all these great uh, structures under the water, and it's just blowing their mind. Where did these things come from? And it was all there before the before the flood. That's, where, that's what it was. Um, with the removal of the sea, the entire service, service, surface of the earth would be inha uh, inhabitable. That's two-thirds more space on the current earth. Now, I know he's going to create a whole new earth, but let's say he does it in the same shape and it looks like the same earth we got today uh, for that aspect of it. Without the ocean, uh, look at how much more room we're going to have uh, to live on just based on what we do know. Um, here, here's another thing, salt water. When you mix it with fresh water, does it make salt water drinkable? No, it contaminates the whole thing and it makes it undrinkable. And it, that's like the Bible says, little leaveneth, leaveneth the whole lump. Leaven is yeast. And you've introduced yeast to flour, 
uh, when you mix together, that's how you make biscuits. That's what makes the flour rise. Now, it's good to eat <laughs> like that, but it's a, a leaven, and yeast is a, a symbol of sin. That's what it is. Yeah. Uh, and so what it's saying there is a little bit of bad mixed with a, a, a little bit of good will always, not always, but 99.999% of the time dominate the good. Now, without here's another one. Without the presence of seas, there would be no more hurricanes or tsunamis to worry about. Um, I live on the East Coast, North Carolina, and I got to say, I don't think we've really ever had to deal with a tsunami. Uh, but boy, howdy, we've dealt with some hurricanes. Oh yeah, we've we've, we've had some in my lifetime that have been some pretty good ones, or, or bad. I'm not good in that aspect, but. It's significant. How about that? <laughs> okay. Uh, it, now, it's also very interesting to note, uh, if you remember science class, when you studied the human bodies, uh, that human beings are water-based creatures. Without water, uh, there would be a problem with dehydration. Okay? Uh, we will no longer, in this new world, be water-based creatures, as we will have spiritual bodies by then. Now, the Bible does tell us in Revelation chapter 22 that there will be a river there. But even so, this is not the H2O kind of water that we know of today. This is a river, the one in Revelation 22. It's a river of life. Now, what that means, we'll figure out when we get there. But it's different from H2O. <laughs> All right. Okay. Now, Dr. Hugh McMillan, a Scottish minister in the late 1800s, offered up a very good explanation on why God placed the oceans on earth like he did. He said, and I quote, The sea, along with its accompanying lakes and rivers, is in this world the great divider. In the peculiar arrangement of land, or arrangements of land and water on the surface of the earth, we have a clear and unmistakable evidence of God's intention from the very beginning of separating mankind into distinct nationalities. For this separation, a twofold necessity suggests itself. It exercised a restraining and a constraining influence. Had mankind been permitted to remain for an indefinite period in one narrow region of the earth, brought into close and constant communication with each other, and speaking the same language, the consequences would have been most disastrous. They would have inevitably corrupted one another. Family and individual interest would have come into frequent and violent collision. Their proximity would have been the occasion of endless wars and deeds of violence and bloodshed. God, therefore, mercifully interfered. He separated mankind into distinct nations placed them in different scenes and circumstances, and effectually kept them apart by means of seas and trackless oceans. And thus the maddening passions of man were rendered comparatively innocuous or circumscribed within the narrowest possible limits. Another reason for this separation of the human race by means of the sea was that national character might thus be formed and educated that the one type of human nature might develop itself into every possible modification by the force of different circumstances and experiences. <clears throat> In 
If there were no individuality among nations, mankind could make no progress. All human societies would lose the mental activity, the noble competition, the generous emulation which distinguished them. There would be no mutual instruction, nothing to keep in check local evils, and by the better agencies of one region stimulate into action similar agencies in another. And it is a remarkable circumstance that this barrier continued insurmountable while the infant races were receiving the education and undergoing the discipline that were to qualify them for enlarged intercourse with each other. When, however, the day appointed by God to enlighten and emancipate the world approached, the scene became all at once, through the improvement of navigation and shipbuilding, the great highway of nations the great channel of communication between the different and distant parts of the world. Christianity is rapidly melting the separate nationalities into one. But the fusion of these discordant elements into one glorious harmony, pure sunlight, inspiring as a strain of perfect music, will never be accomplished in this world. End quote. Okay, now let's go back and talk a little bit about what he's saying. Now, he's trying to explain why God put these great oceans on the earth. Or if you go back to when Noah and his uh, sons and, and, and children all that come off of the ark, God told them to uh, be fruitful and to replenish the earth. All right? That, that makes sense. Okay? He wants them to have babies and populate the earth. Well, it actually goes deeper than that. When he says to repopulate the earth, what he meant for them was not to create a community right there and to all hang around each other and just spread out from one central point until the whole entire face of the earth was populated. It's not what he meant. If that was what God meant, then there'd be no reason for leaving the oceans on the earth. The, earth, the, the oceans act as a separating uh element. It separates the continents. When God told Noah and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, he meant for one to go as far this way as he could, the other one to go as far that way as he could, the other one to go this far as way as he could, and the other one to go that far in all four points of the compass you do realize that with Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, that there are four individuals. That covers the north, the east, the west, and the south. Okay? And by what Dr. McMillan is saying, with them spread out, there was if they stayed together, then they would influence each other. People are going to get mad. Now, we've all, we're all part of families. What happens? Brothers, sisters... Uh, mom and dad, there's always an argument. And as the families get larger, the arguments get a little more detailed. And, and I mean, it, it wars happen this way between family members. And you think, oh, come on. Okay, well, if you flip over a couple of chapters after the, uh, the Great Flood, you see where the Tower of Babel's being built. And do you recall what they said um, when they were building the Great Tower? Uh, let's look over there. Genesis chapter 11. Pretty sure it is. Oh, no. A little bit further back than that. Hold on. Let's see. 
No, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, chapter 11. Um, chapter 11, verse 1. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Okay, journeyed from the east. What does that mean? Okay, they were fruitful. They started multiplying, but they're all still together. And they all moved from the east. They journeyed to they found this plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Who's they? Everybody. Everybody that's populated on earth, they all are here. And look at what verse 3 says. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. So they could start construction. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven and let us make us a name. Now notice this, what it says. Lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Isn't that an interesting statement? Why would they say that? Because they knew back in chapter 9 and verse 1 what God's commandment had been. Chapter 9, verse 1, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth, they were absolutely refusing to follow God's command. They said, let's build us a tower and make us a name unless, you know, uh, to protect us from the Lord scattering us from all over. Okay? But then look over in verse 9. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And then we'll look at what it says. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. They actually spoke their own judgment. But, in essence, because they refused to do what God did, God forced them to do it. This is what God originally intended them to do from the very beginning. And you say, well, why? Why didn't he want them to hang around each other? It's just as what Dr. McMillan was saying right here. These families stuck together. They're going to influence each other. Do you remember a little while ago, uh, ago, a couple minutes ago, I said a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? How many times have we seen these young girls or young boys, uh, they start dating somebody that, that's not saved, and they, they're thoroughly convinced that they're going to change them over. They're going to convert them. They're going to get them saved, and it's going to be okay. What ends up happening? Now, th there is the rare occasion that somebody does actually get saved, but it is that. It's a rare occasion. Almost in every instance, the the evil outmaneuvers, outconquers that which is good. Uh, look at Samson. Now, I know Samson was already going down the wrong path already, uh, so he didn't have a good start to begin with, but look what happened to him. And you look back when there were 12 tribes. God even commanded the 12 tribes not to intermarry with each other. You know why? Because each tribe had a specific task, a specific job. Uh, now, this is not what it is, but I'm going to use it for an example. Let's just say uh, the tribe of Judah, they were all carpenters. And then you've got the tribe of Issachar. They were all blacksmiths. Uh, a boy from the tribe of Judah uh, meets up with a girl from the tribe of Issachar, and they just fall in love and they get married. Okay? Now, when they reached the promised land, you remember what happened? God divided the land between the 12 tribes. 
All this land belonged to the tribe of Judah. All this land belonged to the tribe of Iskar over here. Different places. Well, naturally, when they get married, the girl's going to go where the, the guy with his family. Okay? Now, as the children grow up, they learn the trade from their parents. Okay? So as this girl grew up, yes, she worked in the home, I'm sure, and, and kept it up with her mother, like all the... But listen... She was also learning the the, the uh, as an apprentice what her father does, and and by marrying this boy uh, who's in the tribe of Judah, she has absolutely no idea what's going on over there. Now you talk about smelting and melting iron and using a you know the uh, hammers they use and all that. Oh yeah, she she can do all that, but uh, cutting boards and and making chairs and building houses and tables and things like that. she got no idea what's going on. And you think, well, that's not that big of a deal. It, it goes further than that. Okay. The, the, look at how over the years Judah would have transpired. Everything was around carpentry, how they lived their lives. What would they have been uh, uh, more inclined to live in? A forest. Why? Because that's where they get the wood from. They're not going to live out in a plain. They're not going to live at the beach. <laughs> They're going to live in a forest. Whereas Issachar, the tribe of Issachar, where would they live at? Probably where there's mining available. Okay? Let's say West Virginia. Okay, I know there's trees there, but but you, this is just a light example of what's going on. We all of a sudden now are introducing two different cultures. This girl who lives in the mining town, she's not going to have no idea how to grow, uh, how to live in a, in a forest. Or the other way around. The boy in the forest, he's not going to know how to live around mines. It just doesn't work. And even today, we look at these different cultures. Uh, the way uh, people in Germany do things versus the way people in France do things versus the way that people in Japan do things versus the way that people in Russia do things. Uh, it, 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 we call United, the United States like the smelting pot. You know, all different cultures come in. Oh, and it's great and it's fine and it's, it's wonderful. Uh, up to a point, but look at where we are today. Look at all the the vast uh, uh, confusion we have going on and all that. It seems that we can't meet on any one accord and and, and see the same view uh, between anybody anymore. And you know why? It's because of all these different uh, cultures have been melted in together. I, I mean, really, think about it. I, this nation was built on a Christian fundamental principle. Okay, you can say whatever you want to about George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and all that. Oh, they own slaves and all that. Listen, do I need to remind you that you look in the Bible and you show me one place in the Bible where God said slavery was a sin? It's not in there. As a matter of fact, God actually uses slavery himself. Do you not realize that the entire nation of Israel was slaves to the Egyptians for 400 years. God heard their complaints and all that and brought them out of that. But then what did he tell them in the book of Deuteronomy? What did Moses tell them over and over and over again? If you follow me, I will bless you. I will keep you. I will feed you. I will protect you. I will do everything. For you. But when you turn your back on me, because I'm a jealous God, <laughs> when you turn your back on me and you start following these other gods and all this uh, worshiping idols and all that. I'm going to let these foreign nations come in and take you into bondage. 
they're going to they're going to rape your children and they're going to take your wives for their wives and they're going to put you in bondage and you think man that's a horrible thing it happened over and over again it happened with the egyptians it happened with the babylonians it happened with the assyrians uh it happened with the romans but god never said it was a sin now did he punish those nations for doing that he sure did he sure did and i'm not condoning slavery at all don't don't mistake what i'm saying i'm not condoning slavery at all i'm just saying that the bible does that but 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 in what's going on in this world today uh when you clash two cultures together uh it'll never come out right god fully intended for all of these people to separate to go out and to be inclusive to do their own thing and not interfere with the other nations except in a cautionary manner for trade and all of that I mean, if if let's just say you live uh, on your own down in the state of Florida by yourself, uh, never met anybody from anywhere else. At what point do you realize, hey, uh, it sure would be nice to have something produced in California. It sure would be nice to have something uh, produced in Russia. Uh, you don't know you're missing it. Uh, God promised to take care of these people and and, and look at the, I, i'll tell you this is a a very insightful quote from dr mcmillan here and and it's very enlightening what he's saying and we need to pay attention to it because i'll tell you it's it's it, this is what's wrong in the world today do you know I, I can't remember where the passage is but he even tells israel uh not to do commerce with these other nations because in doing commerce you're going to be introduced to their culture and if you're introduced into their culture, you're going to be enticed to follow their gods and do what they do. And you think, yeah, right. Really? Look up how they how they went about getting this king that they wanted. <laughs> God was their king. And he gave in to them and said, well, you're, you're going to regret it. You're going to regret it. And they did. And you think, well, David was a good guy. Yeah, he was. But look what they went through to get to David. Saul, Saul messed him up, man. I'll tell you, it was something. Okay, all right, I'm rambling on, but I'm going to stop right there. We finished verse one, and uh, we'll pick up verse two in the next uh, podcast, okay? All right, well, I hope you've uh, learned something out of that, and I hope it's made you think. That's that's what we're here for, I, to, to teach and to learn and to think. I, I want you to uh, maybe learn how to uh, study some of this stuff for yourself, uh, I'm not always going to be here. Your pastor's not always going to be here. You need to know how to look this stuff up yourself and, and study the Word of God, and and we can get together and find out what we've found out. And the Holy Spirit just works like that. It's a wonderful thing. It really is a wonderful thing. Okay, uh, thank you for joining me today, and I, uh, I ask that you pray for me. Continue to pray for me. Pray for this podcast. Uh, pray for those listening to this podcast. Uh, I don't know... Uh, there's a lot of people out there listening to it. I don't know what their um, situation is. I'm sure they all have uh, things to pray for. So pray for them. Pray for your local church. And certainly pray for our country. And uh, again, thank you for listening. And I hope you have a late, a great day or evening as it may be, or whatever time you're <laughs> listening to this. And I certainly hope you join me on the next podcast. Okay. All right. God bless you.